0: Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Gospel Nate. Last week we wrapped up James chapter 1. We looked at what it means to be a doer of the word. We also looked at what it means to be a hearer only. Then we looked at probably the only viable form of religion out there. Remember that it was focused on our relationship with people. It had nothing to do with our relationship with Jesus. Our works will never be enough to bridge the gap between us and Jesus. That is where the grace and mercy come into play. Having said that, our works are required to be directed at our fellow man. We call that faith by works. And since we are in James, we will touch on that soon. This week starts out in James chapter 2. So let's pray and start diving in. Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the board that you have given us. Lord, we thank you that our relationship with you does not depend on our works, but rather those works are directed at our fellow man, the way you had intended it to be in the first place. Because at the end of the day, it really is all about fellowship. So, Lord, we speak a blessing over the message, we speak a blessing over the hearers. Father, I need you in this. Apart from you, this message just doesn't fly. And we give you the praise for it all, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's dive in. James, chapter 2, verse 1. And again, I'm reading from the New King James Version. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, With Partiality. Starting out with a warning normally means that there is something else already happening here. But what is Partiality? It is a noun and means unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. It's favoritism. Synonyms for this word are some of the favorites that are used today. Prejudice. Favoritism. Partisanship. And everyone's a favorite. Discrimination. We are going to be looking at what James uses for an example, then come back and put it in a modern twist to give some perspective. James 2, verses 2-4 through For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, in fine apparel, and there should also come in a man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You, sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? We've all heard the teaching on this message again and again. I won't go into great detail on it again, but a quick idea. A man walks into your church, decked out to the nines. Right behind him follows a man who looks homeless and smells bad. A lot of people will gravitate to the rich man, who seems as though he has his act together. They will spend time with him and fawn over him. Whether this is because he is rich, or because he doesn't smell bad, is irrelevant. The issue is that the poor man was ignored, and the rich man was given preferential treatment. In your heart, you have judged the poor man as either not worth your time, or as someone you do not want to get involved with because of fill in the blank with whatever reason. The rich man appears more pleasant. You may be able to gain something because of your friendship with him. Now, let's put this in perspective, for modern-day people. You are at a church, and a known Democrat walks in, followed by a known Republican. Neither of them is in office, or anything special like that. But you know how they voted, and how they think. Based on your own political affiliation or personal desires, you treat one of them as special, and the other as a person to be avoided, or ignored, or even treated with disdain. Behold, you have just put yourself squarely in the middle of James 1 and 4. Because of your personal worldview, you have decided that someone else is less of a person. You didn't even take the time to ask Jesus about either of these people. How about skin color? A person of color walks into the room, followed by a white person. Based on skin color and your personal worldview, you treat one or the other preferentially. When did skin color determine a person's importance in the eyes of God? When did a person's political affiliation determine a person's importance in the eyes of God? When did financial position determine a person's importance to God? The only thing that determines a person's importance to God is if they are a person. If they have any number of arms, legs, eyes, ears, noses, and a mouth, and they are drawing in oxygen, they are important to God. The same thing goes for autistic people and people with Down syndrome. Treating any person as less importance simply because of fill in the blank with whatever reason you want, just makes you a judge with evil thoughts. You have held the glory of Jesus with favoritism and discrimination. I could get on a soapbox here, but I'm not going to because I know you get the idea. So let's move on. James 2 verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? I know people will take this verse and run the wrong direction with it. James is not saying money is bad. He is kind of echoing the words of Agar, son of Jekah. Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. I find it interesting how the mind of man works. If you look at even the cities in the USA, you will see the workings of the mind of men. Men who do not have much in the way of earthly riches tend to rely on God for provision. They have faith into Jesus for all their needs. They seem to understand in most cases that apart from Jesus they have nothing and are going nowhere. People with money, on the other hand, tend to have more faith in themselves to get things done. They have resources to pay for things and want for nothing. Therefore, they have become sufficient to provide for any of their needs. Now, as with most things, there are plenty of exceptions. I know people who are poor and deny the power of God and think that they alone are their source and provision. I know people who are much better off than I am financially and always remember to give thanks and praise to God for what they have. There are people in abject poverty who steal, and there are people in abject poverty who do not. But the two cases listed in Proverbs tend to be more of a norm. In the USA, most of my listeners will be able to relate to this. If you move to someplace more rural, you will tend to find more churches that are full, and an overarching belief that there is a God. If you move to the cities... There are fewer churches, or the churches tend to be more bare-bones in attendance. The overarching atmosphere of the city is that there is no God. Atheism abounds everywhere you look. Immorality is something of a norm and is to be expected. Now, I'm not saying that cities are themselves evil, quite the contrary. I am saying that people are evil, and cities are more of a symptom. In these cities, we have abundant jobs, access to fast health care, even if it is costly, mechanics, car lots, grocery stores, and other such conveniences. We have amassed everything we could possibly need in this life to provide for our needs and wants. Who is the Lord? To quote the writer, if we have everything we need and do not need to ask, then we are sufficient for all things. Man can solve every problem, except the problem of sin. And this takes us back to Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see good when it comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the water, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. Despite the riches, despite the resources, despite all the modern conveniences and safety nets, when we are trusting in ourselves, we are cursed. When it all must happen by our hand, we are cursed. And we are also anxious. We live in a world where we have more than we could ever ask for now. And yet, our young teens and most adults live in near constant anxiety, always fearful and always stressed, I know a person who doesn't even hold a job. Their husband makes all the money. They go on vacation to one exotic location after another. It seems like every three months they go away on another vacation for a full month. And every time you talk to them, all they can do is carry on about how stressed and anxious they are. Designer shoes, designer clothes, exotic vacations, and it has all done nothing for the god-shaped hole in their hearts back at james 2 verse 5 listen my beloved brethren has god not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him the last part there is key to those who love him james is highlighting the poor because they tend to be the ones who understand god's provision but it is not exclusive to them it is exclusive to those who love jesus rich or poor you can be rich in faith You can be an heir to the kingdom. You just need to love Jesus. James 2, verses 6-7 through But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? The only word here that I would change to read more like the Greek is the word noble. Even the King James doesn't do it justice. The Greek word is kalos. It means beautiful. It can be translated a number of ways depending on the usage, but beautiful would work really well here. And the name of Jesus is most excellent and beautiful. Having said that, James is talking to Christians who give preference to rich people who are clearly dragging them to court for one reason or another. He isn't saying that the church should treat them as lesser because of their actions. He is saying that they should not be getting better treatment than the poor person. I feel like I need to say this. This does not mean you should disdain or mistreat both. Just in case someone was wondering, Jesus loves people who are rude to others as well. They just don't understand how much they are loved, therefore they will not have much ability to love others. James 2 verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. The Greek word for royal is basilikos, which means regal, or belonging to a king. That one is based off of the Greek word, belius, which means sovereign, or leader of the people. This is the law of the Lord, the Ten Commandments from God. Yes, James is saying we still need to observe the Ten Commandments. Jesus said the same thing, but he took it from the external and made it an internal issue. Right after talking about the Beatitudes, Jesus went on to say in Matthew 5, 27-28, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That was commandment number seven. See what Jesus did there? He showed that it wasn't just about what you did on the outside. It was about what you were doing in your heart. It isn't good enough to simply not commit adultery. For those who will argue the definition, it is sleeping with another person's spouse or stepping out on your own spouse with someone whether they are married or not. Now Jesus is saying, If you even lust after another in your heart, you are guilty of adultery. And it is the same with loving your neighbor. Leviticus nineteen, seventeen through eighteen says you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear his sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This was one of the Levitical laws given to the children of Israel. Jesus would later echo this law when asked what the greatest law was. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40 Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. So, if we keep the law, James says you do well. James 2.9 says, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Doesn't matter what political affiliation someone is. Doesn't matter what financial or social status they have. It doesn't matter what gender or identity they go with. We are not to show partiality. Now, to be clear, and I know someone will get upset about this, I did not say sin was okay. I am not saying that the gender identity crisis is good and everyone should just go along with it. I am saying that if a man walks in and identifies as a woman, You are not supposed to treat them with disdain or ignore them. They are still your neighbor. They are still a human being. And sin is still sin. And their sexual sin is no different than the lust that most people haven't even dealt with yet in the church. And just as we do not make excuses for lust, lying, sexual defilement, we do not make excuses for the lifestyle anyone is in. That's because it still comes under the same heading as the list given in Colossians 3, 5-9, and you can go look that up. Also, and this needs to be mentioned, this does not mean you should put someone who is practicing sin in a position of ministry. If you know something is up, and you put them in ministry, then you have just defiled your ministry. Titus 1, 15, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled." This is a warning to Christian. To those who are defiled, and to those who do not believe would be a somewhat better way of reading this. You can be a Christian, be engaged in sin, and be completely defiled. This is what makes you unfit for ministry. Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. There are many times you will not be aware of what's going on in your ministry's team's life. But if you do know something, they need to be taken out of the flow until they have dealt with the issue completely. Now, moving on to the next section of our passage, James 2, 9-13. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, He is guilty of all he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder you have become a transgressor of the law so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to the one who is not showing mercy mercy triumphs over judgment i love those last two verses The previous ones state that if you are keeping the sovereign law of God, but stumble in one point, you have broken all the laws. That was the entire point of the commandments and the law, to show that we can't keep them, to show how short we fall of righteousness. It takes away the ability of anyone to brag. For by faith you have been justified, and not by works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 12 So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The law of liberty right there at the end of verse 12 is the Greek word Eleutheria, which is quickly becoming one of my favorite Greek words. And why? Because it means freedom. Not just freedom from sin, but freedom to sin. Thayer's definition says the liberty to do or to omit things that have no relationship with salvation. This means that everything we engage in is in fact a choice. No one is going to be able to look at the things they do and say, well, the devil made me do it, or it's my parents' fault for how they raised me, or if so-and-so hadn't done such-and-such, I would not have reacted that way. We are under the law of liberty, and as such, We are responsible for our choices. The reason this is such great news is because we are not bound to make one choice or another. We do not need to feel helplessly bound in a pattern of destruction. We can choose to step out of it. We can choose to step into the love of Jesus and be healed. No one has a legitimate excuse anymore. Once you have been freed from the law of sin and death, you can now make choices for whatever you desire. Now, a word of caution. Just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And here's what I mean. You have the freedom to choose anything in life pertaining to sin and death, or righteousness in life. The outcomes are on your shoulders. If you choose sin and death, then you have negated the goodness of God, and you will reap the reward of it. If you choose righteousness in life, then you are leaning on the goodness of God, and you will reap the reward of it. We are right back at episode 7. God has called heaven and earth as witnesses against us, that he set before us life and death, blessing and cursing. Now choose life. This freedom we have means we call the shots on what happens with our life from now on. And the choice is a simple one. Choose to do the things that have relationship with salvation. Verse 13 is the warning, for judgment is without mercy to anyone who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do everything as one who will be judged by the law of liberty as one who had a choice in the outcome. Mercy is not getting the judgment you deserve. It sounds so simple, but do you really understand it? Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. This takes us clear back to Matthew 7 verses 1-2. through Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Again, this is wrath that Jesus is speaking about. He is not saying to not call out sin as sin. He is saying you do not determine the punishment or that someone should be hurt for their sin. He is the only one capable of making the call on what should happen to a person for their sin. We are to be discerning, And Call out sin when we see it before us if you go from hey, bro You have a sin issue that you need to stop because it is killing you to You deserve to burn in hell for what you have done I hope God strikes you and I hope you lose your business and all of your friends Then you have moved from calling out sin into being a judge The standard you used is the standard that God will use with you and that is not a position you want to be in So be merciful Matthew 5.44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Those are the words of Jesus. Now, let's recap what we've covered so far. James 2, through 13 My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our key takeaway points here are pretty straightforward. No partiality, no favoritism, no carrying one person higher than another. It doesn't matter what a person's background is. It doesn't matter whether they are rich or poor, Republican, Democrat, of the world, or of Jesus. Every person is important in the eyes of Jesus. So, it's important for us to treat them with the same kind of respect and dignity that Jesus would have treated them with. Otherwise, we run the risk of falling into that part of verse 4 where it says, "...you have become judges with evil thoughts." Jesus clearly gave us instructions to not judge, lest we ourselves be judged. He also told us that we're supposed to call out sin when we see it. Not because we are more righteous than anyone else, not because we are better than the person we're calling the sin out to, but because if we don't tell people what is killing them, if we don't tell people what is bringing death into their lives, then we ourselves are guilty, guilty of silence, complicit in the death that they are going along with because we just simply didn't say anything, simply because we were afraid of falling into that category of judgment. But remember, there's a difference between telling someone You've got some death going on in your life, and it's going to kill you, spirit and soul, versus you're a bad person, and I hope you suffer. There's a huge difference between the two. Also, we are supposed to keep in mind that even though we are not bound by the law, we are bound to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. And we are also bound to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we are under a law of liberty. And we do have choices. We can choose good things. We can choose bad things. When we choose bad things, obviously, bad things are going to happen to us. And it really is the difference between choosing life or death. If we choose life, then clearly we will receive life. If we choose death, then we will clearly receive death. And death is brought about by any of the things that Jesus told us not to do. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. So it really does boil down to the choices you make with your life. Whether you're choosing life or death. Whether you're calling out to people and letting them know that they're choosing death over life. And it does come back to treating people fairly and justly. I have never once come across somebody who voted differently from me, or had a different worldview from me, that I flat out disrespected, or just basically flat out told them they were stupid. We might disagree, and the things that they want might bring death, and I will call out the things that cause death, but not to the point of calling them less than human, or less than important because to Jesus, they are still important. So go out there and do the things that God has called you to do. Call out death when you see it. Promote and champion life when it needs to be, which is all the time. And don't judge. Do not be partial to someone else because they're more like you or more like what you want. Love your neighbor and always, always, be merciful, because if you show mercy, you will be shown mercy by the Father. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the mercy you have given us. Apart from the mercy you have given us, we would not have the life that we have today. So, Father, I ask that you would show each one of us how to be merciful to those around us, how to live properly in light of the law of liberty that you have given us. Lord, for the message, I ask that the words that needed to be heard by the listeners would be burned into their hearts. And Father, whatever was extraneous or didn't need to be remembered would pass away and not be remembered ever. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, you are blessed. You have choices. You're not bound by something someone else said or did. Go out there and live life.